This is the Love Swimming Podcast, powered by Love Admin's easy-to-use software that reduces your organization's admin and increases its income. Find out more at www.loveadmin.com. Okay, um, hello everyone. Welcome to the Love Swimming Podcast. It's me, Clive Marquis, um, your host again. And this week, I have um, Kevin Brooks from Wickham District Swimming Club. So, hello, Kevin. Welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Um, and yeah, we just really want to be talking about coach versatility this week and how that is important to all aspects of swimming and how it's something that we all need to be trying to enhance in our knowledge. Um, so, start off, we'll start with the basics, of course. Um, Kevin, please tell us about yourself, tell us about Wickham, um, tell us your achievements, bits like you've got a, an amazing um, sort of like achievement record that we should all be hearing. Um, well, thank you. Um, I guess I started, um, I, was a, I was a competitive swimmer when I was uh, a kid um, until the age of around 16, 17. I started coaching and teaching as many people do. Um, I became a deputy head coach of a club at the age of 18. I then progressed to university where I had studied a degree and um, coached alongside an Olympic coach at that time. I then became, during my placement year, I became a head coach at the club I grew up at, um, a club called Maxwell Swimming Club. And um, I was head coach there in 2004 at the age of what, 22, turning 23. Um, within that first season, I had three swimmers swim internationally at uh, senior European short course championships and then European juniors in that 2005. And then from there, that just continued a theme of high level success and also um, club success, which is really important to me. So uh, Maxwell Swimming Club in the following years for the next effectively eight years um, became top club in the, in the county and was one of the top three clubs in the region at that time. Um, and that I had swimmers going to European juniors and European seniors and world championships and then that com- uh, accumulated in a swimmer going to the Olympic Games in 2012, a swimmer which had long been at the club before but had tried out many different national centres and other programmes and stuff and then came back to the club programme and swam with me for the best part of three and a half years um, and made the Olympic team from a club programme which is something I was really proud about, a 25 metre programme as well. Um, and then from, and he swam at things like European short course as well and, and European long course, etc. So he, he got to that point. And then at that point, um, I recognised that I needed to move on in my career from Maxwell because realistically for that club to be the type of club I wanted it to be, it needed to double in size, it needed to merge with other clubs, it needed a 50 metre pool, it needed far more than what it had. And um, so I wanted a new challenge. Um, so I, and at the same time, just down the road, um, a club at Wickham, um, Wickham District, uh, head coach opportunity came up. The club wasn't performing that well, uh, far from it. And um, I went there and the club was around 150 swimmers in size. And then that was 20, that was in fact nine years ago today. Today's the 1st September and it was nine years ago in 2012 when I joined um, Wickham District Swimming Club. And the club was around 150, 160 swimmers in size. And I knew there'd be a new pool along the line because we had a six lane 50 meter pool, which was around 40 years old at that point, which is a great training pool. Um, I actually really, really like that pool to be fair. Um, and then it was just a case of uh, developing that club and creating a system which created uh, more opportunity for all levels of swimmers, not just um, elite level swimmers and providing some inspiration and direction to 
very willing um, swimmers and very willing volunteers that just wanted better for the club and for um, the swimmers in it. Um, so myself and my assistant coach at the time, Craig Oliver, who funnily enough was one of my assistants at Maxwell um, in his developing years, uh, we both um, developed that club and took it forward. Um, and one of my goals at the time was to grow the club over 400 swimmers and to have an international swimmer by um, 2017. Well, we grew the club earlier than I thought, and we had our first international swimmer around 20, I think it was 2015, 2016. My memory goes blank now. Um, and then it just continually grew from there. So since that point, we've had various swimmers go to European juniors in the pool and in open water, win medals um, at both of those competitions um, and just continually grow the club. So the club prior to COVID was 650 swimmers. Um, we've obviously lost swimmers, but we're still around around, around about the 600 mark now. Um, and we actually have a pool program now, which is probably better than what we've ever had. So mm. we're in a really good place now to take things forward. Um, as a club. So that just is a very brief sort of thing about my journey in coaching. Um, in terms of coaching staff stuff, I, I was fortunate enough to have my first international selection as a coach in 2005 um, to European Juniors. And since then, I've been to European Long Course, um, European Juniors again several times, um, head coach of a European Junior team. Um, swimmers have been to like World Cups and events like that. I've had the chance to go and coach in America. Um, Lots of different little things have come up along the way, but um, yeah, so that's kind of like a very very short sort of introduction to me. No, that's that's great. Like, um, I think what's most impressive there is you've grown your club from a hundred to what six hundred members in what nine years. That's mm. that's pretty rapid growth. That that's really rapid. Yeah, no, yeah it, it, it is, but it's a, as I say to many people, it's a case of creating a. a a structure and a system so um, a lot of coaches talk about wanting success at the highest level um, and you could have the right coaching philosophy to do that but you might not have the right number of swimmers coming into your program you might not have the the right financial structure of that club to enable that to happen um, or the water access for example and not only water access it's all well and good saying you've got 18 hours of pool time a week which is great pool time if a club can have that um, but if those hours are like finishing at nine o'clock at night then the fundamental thing will where those swimmers are getting late nights and getting up early in the morning, well, that's flawed in itself. And, yeah. I, and I found that at Maxwell. Um, my, my kids achieved a hell of a lot, but actually the thing that held them back um, was effectively the, the later sessions in the, in the evening. Um, they were just so tired all the time because their sleep patterns, they, they weren't getting enough sleep. And success doesn't just come from, well, I turn around to my swimmers actually and say success doesn't come from how hard you work in the pool. Um, it comes from how hard you recover outside of the pool. Um, and so sleep is obviously a major thing with that. And that's one of the things with the, what I tried to set up at Wickham from day one, effectively two months into being at Wickham, the crucial things I changed were making sure that we had a balanced program. Fortunately, Wickham actually had afternoon sessions starting at half four already. So I wanted to capitalise on that and make greater use of that time and make more use of our long course mornings. And so we, I, I took my top squad, where I inherited a top squad of 12 and a half, 13 hours a week. And within two months, that top squad, although it was a small top squad, had access to 19 and a half hours um, within the same blueprint that the club had already with hiring no extra pool time. So I managed to change things around to create a smaller group which had access to high level water time. And so what I'm trying to get at is, is in order to have success and continue success, you've got to have the right um, structure of a club 
the right financial structure of the club, the right coaching team balance, um, and then create an opportunity where all swimmers feel part of that. Um, yeah. There are a lot of clubs which are around 200 swimmers in size. If, if you're no longer good enough for what's deemed as their top squad, the next offering you would have would probably be two, three, four times a week in a club squad or something yeah. else, and that's it. Whereas, actually, the drop down from doing 18 hours a week to doing well up to four sessions a week, you miss out on such a huge number of swimmers that could be retained in the sport and actually still go on to do really well um, at county, regional and national level. So it's, it's so important, I felt, to create a club which catered for everyone. So yeah. that's what that's what we did. I I I, I think that's one hundred percent. You've got your you've got how many squads have you got? If the many are uh, to be honest, I've lost count, but I think it's around about 25, 26 squads, something like that. Um, my my squad is the we have three we have three main pathways. We have a competitive pathway, which is is like most normal swimming clubs. You have like a, we have an academy structure, which goes into like a potential slash. Um, like skills development section which goes into a competitive strand um, and that pool time is a classic sort of progression they go from doing two hours a week to three four hours a week to six to ten hours a week to 12 13 and then that top squad there is 15 hours a week which is senior competitive over eight sessions so that's actually on par with all local clubs around if not a better offering because they have long course training and snc we then have a development structure on the side which caters for it's it's a, it's, par, it's a parallel offering to our competitive structure so we have um, swimmers doing fitness swimmers doing um, one two three four times a week swimmers going up into masters and then we have our performance squad which performance squads shall i say which go from uh, 13 hours to 16 and a half hours to 20 and a half hours of pool time so we, we have a significant amount of pool hours for different squads to achieve different things okay yeah no i, I agree so i had a quick gander at your um the kind of your squad list and i was just almost scrolling through the pages just yeah. kept going but no it was really interesting to see how you had all that you've as you've said perfectly there you split it up and had all those different areas to as you said to uh, keep maintaining swimmers in and not making sure there's no one dropping through the cracks almost which is something that happens a lot I, th I think in order to have success you, what, what you'll have in, in most top squads and most clubs i have it less now in my group but certainly when i inherited my um my squad you at one second. Please for a staff announcement steve, <laughs> to reception and steve to reception thank you hopefully you can cut that out um one thing one thing i had um when i inherited my first squad of swimmers was that I had kids in, in that top squad which all had different aspirations. Some just wanted to do it for fitness but they're in the top squad. Some were quite happy competing at county level. Some were regional level and thought they were only going to be good enough for regional level but actually could have been good enough to be on an international team. And so that was the sort of spectrum. I had some which wanted to commit to 110% of what I said and others which didn't really want to do more than five times a week. And so if you want to create a performance culture and environment, you've got to have everyone on the same page. Yeah. And so that environment, you've got to have, you know, you've got, you've got to um, be in an environment where everybody is working on that same goal. They're on the same mission, you know, yeah. where everyone's on the same mission as you. And so I wanted to create different squads where each of those squads represented people that were on the important people, important swimmers to our club, because every member in our club is important but they have a different mission than the other squad. Does that make sense? So swimmers yeah, in my group, I, I, I get where you're coming from there. 
Yeah, their their, mesh, their mission, in, which is led by me, is to be the absolute most committed, most skilled, uh, most high-profile swimmers they possibly can be. And I am that there is no deviation from that, and because that's what that squad is about. And if that squad is not for them, then they go into a different group. So then our senior competitive squad, that is absolutely not their mission. Their mission is to be successful at county, regional, maybe home nation level. And the, and if they do show signs of wanting to be on a different mission, i.e. being more performance mindset, if they're showing commitment and if they're performing, then they'll get transferred into the performance programme. Yeah, equally, those swimmers in senior competitive, if they're showing that they're not even on the mission of wanting to be county or regional level and their commitment goes, then actually they need to be in our development squads doing three, four times a week because their mission is now just participation and fitness. So if you can create the right opportunity for swimmers, you retain those swimmers and then you um, have more depth and strength within your club. Um, but they're all part of, I don't know if you've seen, but we, we, we use this branding, like hashtag, like one team. Yeah. The reason why we do that is because it's very easy to have lots of small different groups within the club but the ultimate thing is, is whilst there are different squads and groups, they're all on the same same collective mission of being you're part of the Wiccan team, mm. and your goal is to be the best you can be for the level you're at. Yeah, no, I understand that because it's very easy, especially when, as you've said, you've got over what twenty odd squads or something, to start having fringes coming mm. out. It's like creating that team unity. But I think something you very interesting said there was talking about the environments and stuff like that, and. Um, I'm, I remember reading about Greg Troy and Bitsai and he's all about environment and saying that with moving, making sure your swimmers in a collective are all on, as you said, the same goals and stuff like that and moving swimmers into environments that will better suit them so we're not affecting the entire environment of the entire group and bits like that. Absolutely. That's, that's fundamentally what it's about because if you've got a swimmer that's committing to 8, 9, 10, 11 sessions if they need it um, a week, they're they, they, they want to be able to look into the eyes of their other teammates and be like, you're suffering just like I am. This is okay. Instead of having that teammate that turns up and has done 50% of what they've done, uh, the, the respect and, and value of that group diminishes because there are some people that are not respecting those swimmers that are trying so hard. Whereas if everyone is trying really hard and everyone is doing the best that they can within that group, then it just takes everyone to a higher level. Regardless of... of um, events and 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 you know 50s to open water um they all have a within my top squad there is a minimum attendance regardless of what discipline you're doing i'll say discipline like uh, events yeah and then from those minimums we then um branch out into different things if and when required depending on age depending on what they need to do etc um but there are some core things which are sort of like non-negotiables within my group and if they buy into that then that's fine yeah no i I can understand that. Um, right, so we'll move on to more like our core of where we, we deviated a little bit there, but our core of what the um, podcast want to talk about, and that's versatility in coaching and how important that is. And Ke Kevin, your really good point in this is that you've produced swimmers at a national, international level, all the way from 50 to open water and stuff like that. So your versatility, your knowledge depth is huge in that matter. And I think it's something that's really important to understand that coaches need to have that understanding so they can't walk into a program and be like right i'm a 200 coach and everyone all the swimmers in that squad in that club now become 200 swimmers it's important um to mold the coach needs to mold around the swimmers abilities and where they are and what they need to do i think john rudd said that um perfectly uh, mm -hmm. when i was to him a while ago saying how 
he swimmers will come on and swimmers don't need to change for their coach the coaches need to change for their swimmers um what, what's your thoughts on that and versatility i i would agree with what what you said there um but i would i'd caveat that with um it's all based on a swimmer's background and um the age at which those swimmers are on their development journey um so you could have a, a underdeveloped 17 year old boy um where the right type of work for that swimmer even if he sees himself as a sprinter is still to do more aerobic based work uh, and more skill based work and more kick based work ready for when that swimmer progresses into like potentially like a over 18 setting which could still be with me or could be at a, another university setting where um, they're going to do a different degree somewhere else etc and um, that's when they can then take it off into do different things like more power or more speed based work because they have more of a platform and then at that point that's when their body has changed even further and they get more of their man strength or woman strength so my point is is like you've got to really as a coach really recognize and understand where are my swimmers at, at their development level right now forget their age for a second where are they at their development level physically and importantly mentally and then once you've got a real good idea of just understanding what that is. Okay, so what's their training background on top of that then? Okay, this swimmer's been doing uh, 45K a week of just aerobic-based training and is doing really well in 200s and 400s, but looks like they could potentially be a really good sprinter down the line. Okay, so we need to continue in this sort of format, um, have exposure to more events, um, try out different things. And my point is, is you gradually start to narrow down the events once they get older. And that point that once they get older could be, for example, for some females, 14 to 16. That's when that could start happening. For some males, it could be 17, 18. Whereas some males, it could be 15 to 16. You just, you've just got to con continually address where those swimmers are in their development and just make sure that you put certain things in place. So my planning, um, I'm a very planned person and I like to be really organized. But then once I have those overviews and those bigger, bigger, bigger picture plans, I'm then very relaxed about how my week looks and how a session goes and stuff because it, you need to respond to what's in front of you. Um, so I have a very structured week, but even within that structured week, I'm quite relaxed about how things go as long as I do certain things. Does that make sense? So, yeah. so I'll have a swimmer, for example. For example, right now, I've, I've got a, lad, a couple of lads and girls that have just moved into my group, which are on the younger side. And I look at that and go, okay, um, they've now got three to four years in my group where they're going to, the aim is to get onto European junior teams and further. What, what will my plan look like for those next four years and five years? What does that mean? And actually, what do, how, what do I see them doing in the future as a 18, 19, 20, 21 year old if I think they've got a, a future in swimming at that higher level? So what do I need to do now as a coach to make sure they perform at their absolute best when they are 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, etc.? not just totally smash it as a 15 year old. So I, will, I need to get a plan in place where my swimmers that are 15 and 16 now are doing really well and still feel like they're succeeding. So they'll go to nationals and do well and or they'll go to trials and do well, maybe start progressing in their rankings. But I still have a window open so that I can continually to progress them year upon year upon year and not just plateau. Yeah. So that, that, that whole concept that I have comes down to two words progressive overload so how are you progressing your athletes over a period of time um and, and then that versatile sort of like event plan 
fits into that whole four years, it fits into the eight year picture, it fits into a cycle. Um, so for example, I'm, I'm bouncing around here, but hear me out. So in a cycle, I'll start my cycle and be right, okay, for October, you're gonna enter potentially a level three meet, even a level two meet, and just do a whole range of events. I don't care if you see yourself as a 200 freestyler, you're gonna go and do that 200 fly. You're gonna do the 400 medley maybe, you're gonna do the, the 50 back. Let's just try a range of different things that that you might want to update some times in, get a feel for things, see where you are, because your development might have, might have changed, certainly now, and you might be doing really well in, in a different event because your your structure's changed slightly. So let's just see, let's get, get a ballpark of where you are with things. Then as the season goes on, um, we start to narrow down and narrow down and narrow down. So when it gets to trials, and particularly the summer, the focus will shift more towards where their higher ranking qualified events are. So what is a bigger range at the beginning of the season and then it gradually at the higher target it gets narrower and narrower um, and then that process starts again maybe at the same same level and the next year it might be a narrower level the following year. So over that four year plan a 15 year old could be entering a meet doing two, three swims a session at the start of the season whereas when they're 16 it might then just be two. When they're 17, 18 it might be two or one a session. Um, and then it narrows down further and further and further as those, as that season progresses. So you, so you can see that the competitions that they're doing over that four-year period narrows down each year, but also over the course of those four years, and they start to focus in on other things. And I think a lot of a lot of the reason why we are successful at other events as well comes down to what they do in the squad below me. So at Wickham, Josh takes our intermediate performance squad. And the fundamental basic training plan for them is 400 medley, 200 fly, distance free. And they have a real good platform and basis on that. And yes, basic speed in there, obviously. Um, but that's the foundation of what they're doing. That 200 medley, sorry, that 400 medley, 200 fly and distance free. The distance free is building up their capacity. Their 400 medley is developing not only capacity, but multi-stroke skills, turning skills, sculling skills on different strokes how to pace things and stuff. The 200 fly is teaching somebody to be resilient and hard-nosed and skillful with underwater work when you get under pressure. Yeah, those little things will then transfer into the 100-meter sprint event when they're 17 or something, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I take swimmers from that point and then we start to develop them into different things as they get into my group. So in, 20, in 2019 nationals, we had representation in every event at British Summer Champs in Glasgow. We got 20 medals at British Summers in that year, and we had a medalist at European Junior Open Water. So you've got someone doing 53 final right up to Open Water 5K international medalist. And that was the program in that 2019. That's, yeah, that's a big wave. And I think what's um, what you said great there is the squad below you, of course, is your feeder squad, if you know what I mean. And yeah. I think a lot of clubs sometimes, they're, they're looking at the top end and they can forget the bottom end and this is where all your swimmers are going to come up through you don't have a strong bottom end if you're not in that strong base where all the swimmers are being produced you're not going to have much at the top end yes I, I yes i very much agree there um what's really important though is making sure that you know that the, the focus of the younger swimmers has got to be when i say younger swimmers 10 to 14 at the age group level has got to be technical focused but and this is the real big but, you've got to continue that progressive overload theme of gradually getting them to do more and more volume 
but not just volume for the sake of volume. I hate it when people say, oh, clubs that do more volume, it's just garbage yardage. No, it's not. If you're doing, if you've got a good program and they are uh, being skillful about it, then garbage yardage is actually um, valuable yardage because the whole point is, can they hold technical skills, underwater work, stroke counts, balance in the stroke over progressively longer distances? If they can't do that, they are not fit enough to race. If they can do that, they are fit enough. So, for example, can a 14-year-old boy or girl do a thousand meters freestyle at roughly um, you know, A2, maybe going into threshold? Um, can they hold that same stroke count, same underwater uh, underwater kicks, and same rep repetitive split times um, consistently? Most of them probably can't do that um, because their skills deteriorate. They struggle. Their fitness can't continue continue that, that skill pattern further forward. So what we've got to do as coaches is recognize that, yes, technique is the fundamental foundation, but then you've got to have make sure that you have the kick and the balance in the stroke, and then you've got to develop that fitness around those basics because there's no point you entering a 200 fly and your fly is beautiful on that first 50 and then you're carrying pianos on the last 50. Well, well done on doing all of that technique work. It's not paid off because yeah. your technique is awful on the last 50. And the reason why it's awful on the last 50 is because you haven't done the capacity work and the aerobic work to, to sustain technical performance. Same applies for a 100 free sprint event. Too many sprinters, or sorry, swimmers that think they're sprinters, think that they've just got to do power work, but it's the capacity work, i.e. the aerobic work, work, which facilitates their ability to do that power work and recover from it and actually finish a race purposefully and finish a race with balance and finish a race with almost like a little turbo button on the end. Um, not many swimmers can do that, but they can if they've done the training or they've got had progressive training and they've focused on holding skills under pressure. So there's all those little things which are really important. And that's why as our performance program, our younger, younger swimmers, 13 to that 14, 15 age group, are doing progressively more volume under um, uh, making sure they're holding good skills. Yeah, no, I, I think you've hit a real key point there. So I, I know it's a lot of time um, people sort of like idolise the kind of crowd kind of swimming, if you know what I mean, where he gets in, swims 10, 10 minutes, and then he gets out, if you know what I mean. But I think, um, as you said there, you, it, it's important to maintain that aerobic fitness in order just to train as well and be able so, to... So what's really important with like that Ben Proud thing you mentioned there is you know, people will see what swimmers are doing right now in terms of, What's Ben? And like we've got a, a lad called Adam Barrett that's swimming with us at, at the moment, and he he does six seven sessions of swimming a week. Um, he's a former uh, British record holder and Commonwealth uh, medalist. Uh, went at his time when he was at Loughborough National Centre. He's now swimming with us. He's out at the ISL at the moment. Um, his training is very different to the rest of my squad. He still turns up to the sessions that we've agreed. Um, but it's very easy for my younger swimmers to say, oh, can I just do what Adam's doing? Well, no, you're not going to do a two and a half K session today with Adam. You're going to do your, your six K session or whatever we've got planned. Because when Adam was younger, he did that type of work. Yeah. And so my, I'm saying with Ben, Ben Proud is whilst he didn't do volume after volume, when he was out, he wasn't in the UK, but he did loads of aerobic based work just from playing in the water, doing different sports. And my point is, is every swimmer is different. And just because they're doing that now as a, as a senior international athlete, it doesn't mean that's what a 15-year-old needs to do. No. And that's the biggest issue I see in swimming is that, uh, oh, this person's doing this, I must do that. No, no, no. 
where are you at in your development? What do you need to do for you as an individual to perform now and in the future? No, I, I agree with you there. And I think that's, that's, I think, quite rife in sprint swimming, if you know what I mean. A lot of people, at, as you said, at 15, young kind of ages, where to be honest, sprint swimming doesn't really start until you hit 20s, in my, my opinion. That's when it starts to develop. But they're all talk, talking about trying to be, get a fast 50 at 15, where it's not really kind of where it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the, I, I see many swimmers in my program right now, which are, I believe could be incredible sprinters, but not just yet. Yeah, no, I, I, they can sprint and they can still do well and still get into finals and stuff. But I believe if they're going to go down that route, they could be really good in the future, just not yet, because they need to have a bit more capacity, uh, more development of skill, more development of balance um, to make sprinting become more viable for them. Um, because the faster you go, it's all about the connection and it's all about the timing and it's all about balance. Um, and you've got to be able to do that by swimming really slow and really low level and be able to sustain um, really good stroke patterns. Um, and most young kids, when they're growing, they're all over the place. Um, and their stroke technique gradually changes as they develop. So um, they just need to keep working on skills and stuff and those things will come. Yeah. No, I agree with you there. I, th I think that's key. Um, so one of the other things, which I think, to be fair, we've, we've already started to comment on in this, is I was going to talk about versatility and the differences between age group swimming and senior swimming. And I think we're starting to touch on this already, um, saying with age group swimming, versatility, we need to be working more, as you're saying, about building the base, um, all of these sections. And then with senior swimming is where you're going to start to specialise a bit more, where I think we're starting to already touch on this kind of Yeah, I mean... I think I think it's very easy for coaches which have, for example, going through their level three course um, or they've been taught a lot about what senior swimmers should or shouldn't do um, to come back into their home programs and be, OK, I've got my top squad. We're going to start doing this and doing that and making loads of plans. I, I often I often get coaches asking me, oh, so what test sets do you care? Do you do you do Kev? How often do you time their turns? How often do you time their starts? How often do you do this? What about this? What about that? And I just go, whoa, 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 slow down a second. I focus on the getting the basics right and this is what's really important coaching right now in an age group program 18 and under should it be all about are you doing the fundamental basics right can your kids hold a push and glide with decent fly kick properly most programs i watch cannot do that that's not getting a basic right so and can kids hold a simple like set and hold the same stroke count and hold um, catch over the water, uh, catch on their stroke, sorry, with the correct stroke mechanics on X, Y, Z, etc. If the answer is no to that, then don't, don't run before you can walk. Get the basics right. So when I've got coaches saying to me, oh, do you time the turns and stuff? I go, why don't we put that back? Can your kids do streamline underwater work under pressure past the flags off a turn? Or sorry, should I say that towards 10 meters off a turn? They go, no, they don't. I go, well, don't focus on timing them. Focus on working on their skills. Yeah, so it's that kind of thing. It's like just because senior coaches might do a time for 15 or do a time for this or a time for that, it's irrelevant really for younger kids because it's all about the technical aspect, the process. Are they, are they turning up? Yeah, you know, yeah. We, often get, uh, we, turn, we turn around to parents that, that sometimes say, oh, my child's not doing that well. Uh, well. What's the reason? I think they need to work more on this and more on that. And we just turn around and go, yeah, you're in attendance 60%. So um, before we have any conversations like that with your child, 
um, can they start turning up? Yeah. There's, a, there's a reason why your squad has this many hours. Um, we don't just put it on for the sake of it. Um, so once you start turning up and you turn up for a whole season, um, then we can start talking about the minor details of why they are or are not progressing. Um, because it, uh, success in the pool, certainly post-maturation, comes from far more things than um, you know, just criticising one small bit. It can come from parental pressure. It can come from uh, performance, in, uh, performance anxiety when they get into the arena setting, i.e. when they turn up to the arena, which is you know, like the Olympic Games arena or for a younger swimmer going into that first regional arena when they go to that 50 meter pool for the first time and they're um, going to race at regionals, the anxiety, well, that'd be reason enough to not perform. So it's all those smaller attributes that need to be worked on to create a performance. Uh, what's their communication like with the coach at a competition? What's their communication like with their parent at a competition? And does that, different, does that differ from when they're in their normal environment at training? All those little things will lead to a performance or a non-performance. Um, so there's far more to creating a performance down the line than just um, focusing on, am I doing my five in, ten outs turn times? It's irrelevant. Yeah. At this level, I would only start looking at that for top-end swimmers. Yeah, no, I, I understand you there because I think, as you said, if they can't get the kicks out of the wall, then what's the point about having to worry it's, about? It comes, comes even before the kicks. It comes. Uh, can they actually hold their shape off the wall? I talk yeah. to my swimmers about um, their shape is everything. That so, what ha what is their shape like when they when they turn, when they dive in, when they are actually swimming? Are, is their shape in a streamlined position? Is their shape um, balanced in the water? Uh, posture, line, and balance (PLB). Are they holding that position? Um, because if they're not, then everything else is irrelevant because it's going to create drag and slow them down. So, our job as coaches is to um, not just make them stronger and fitter. Our job is to minimize resistance so that comes down to shape and technique because minimizing resistance will in effect create more speed yeah no i, I understand you there fully because um well it's the whole point of swimming isn't it reducing resistance the, yeah no I, I think that's a really interesting point you bring up there and it's really key because of course i think as you said when we look at some of the other smaller programs they're looking at what everyone else is doing and be like oh we can do that with our kids and they're not quite there ready to do that and i think yeah, like working on the, the smaller basic areas, as you're saying, is um, key. Because I think also if we look at some kids that are great in uh, certain events or certain strokes, but then the other strokes, they're not quite there yet. And as you're saying, in that age group level, they need to be ready for all four of those events and bits like that. Yeah, and, and kids live on their last performance and certainly their parents do. So one of the reasons why at the start of a season we get kids to enter events where, so for example, my squad this season straight away, we're entering a, a level two meet in the middle of October uh, where I expect them to do at least two swims per session, touch on their key events from the previous season, but also touch on other events. Uh, which are like their secondary strokes or secondary events etc so over that weekend they'll probably race probably like i don't know maybe 10 races in total yeah brilliant so they've got 10 races there their main events could actually be potentially relatively poor in terms of not pbing in their eyes which is fine because it's october yeah. other events their secondary events which are not swimming ages they could pb straight away they get a little bit of motivation they're going oh well didn't do do well in my main events, but then actually my other events I've not done in a while. I've actually actually improved on, and that was really good. And 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 so that's one of the reasons because it creates some positivity at the start of the season. Um, whereas if they only turned up and just did their same old events all the time, then it's very easy to get quite despondent because 
kids being kids will naturally expect, oh, I want to see improvement all the time. Well, that doesn't happen, um, certainly as you get older and certainly post-maturation. So it's important at the beginning of a cycle, I think, to um, do a bit more of a range and do something a bit outside of your comfort zone. Um, because then as you get down that, as you get through the training cycle and you move and you progress, you'll get to that point where you'll get to your target competition or you're qualifying for your target competition down in that cycle and you can focus in on your, your key events um, and be more focused on those areas um, at a time when you're ready to perform. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I know this season um, I entered a 200 freestyle and I haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> and uh, it, I thought it was good because I was surprised at how I still was able to maintain my rope capacity considering I don't swim as much anymore or the same kind of volumes anymore and I swim on more of a reverse periodized program if you know what I mean so still yeah. being able to hit my 200 times I was a bit like oh, it's not horrendous if you know what I mean um so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you in that sense is still being able to try try and maintain other events and other disciplines even if you are still swimming for me and what, what you've just said there links into like the importance of doing certain things at the right time within an age group program so as a child is going through phv so peak height velocity their body's changing significantly they're growing significantly there are certain things at that point where you really must emphasize certain things so one of those things is aerobic based training and what that will do is start to develop their lung capacity and their, they will meet the their lung capacity will um, develop according to the demands being placed on it so for example they'll gradually grow a, a bigger shoulders, big, bigger capacity in their lungs to cope with the training, but also um, because they're growing, they're actually maximizing that, that growth window to develop into more of what a swimmer needs. If a swimmer doesn't do anything like that when they're going through PHV, their lung capacity generally um, and structures in terms of shoulders and just general way of what's important for a swimmer um, will actually not be as developed as what they could have been. And so they miss out on a window. So if you you talk about what you've just spoken about there in terms of the training you've done over the, your younger years and how your aerobic capacity is relatively okay, well, actually, that's probably because you probably did a relatively amount of work when you were younger and your, your structure, your general capacity is actually pretty good and that can take you forward and you probably stayed in shape. Um, Whereas if you didn't have that when you were younger, you'd find your capacity now would be a lot weaker. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. I know I, was, I used to swim what, 400 freestyle and bits like that, and now I've moved oh, to yeah. 50. So it's kind of, yeah, as you said, I've somehow maintained that um, aerobic capacity and bits like that going through. And I, I think the difference in training programs now as well is, like, I'm still quite impressed in how I've maintained it, considering now in training, we're not moving more than maybe 100 metres in kind of like high intensity that's yeah, it yeah. sometimes <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah no I, I think that's a really um key point and well if we move on to like what well, i think the next question which i had in my bank was we're talking about versatility and we get again we have touched on this again already um is versatility doesn't it just have to be in the pool we're talking about outside the pool as well um so if we're creating understanding about the psychology of the swimmers and the environments we're creating for them to be able to perform as athletes um, because I think that's a key. You could have a great, absolutely great, right, be able to write great sets, bits of this, but if the environment the swimmers are in isn't there to help them, then they're not going to go anywhere. Um, and bits of that. And then also making sure that your swimmers understand the needs for recovery, as you said, sleep. Because if they're not sleeping, then they're not going to move forward again. And you could end up grinding these swimmers down with whatever, but they're not going to move on any further than they are if they don't understand some of these other key aspects too. Yeah, I think um, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think in my role as a as a head coach, but as a performance coach with like you know, basically, you know, my, my role is head coach, but I'm taking the top squad in the club, so it's a performance coach role. Um, the actual coaching, the writing of sets, and the actual coaching is the easiest bit. And what I mean by that is is the real coaching takes place in the conversations. The real coaching takes place in the um, picking people up from disappointment. The real coaching takes place in terms of being interested, genuinely interested in people's lives and their success or perceived non-success in life. So, you know, one of the, the terminologies used by, uh, you know, I heard it a long time ago from um, Sergio Lopez that coaches, he's coached one of my swimmers in America for the last few years. Um, he he talked about coaching life and you hear other other coaches talking about like, like Eddie Reese. I was fortunate enough to meet him in America when I went there, but he talked about coaching life. So actually I'm not just coaching swimming to my swimmers for me, making sure they make the right life choices is really important. And so that, that relationship, that environment is all based on mutual trust and respect. Some coaches come and observe me and they, and one of the first comments they always make is, Oh, you know what I expected you to be? Certainly when I was younger, they thought, crikey, you're much younger than I thought. But one of the things they start saying now, because obviously I don't look as young, is um, they, they start saying, oh, you're, you're not that loud. You don't shout. I'm like, well, no, of course I don't shout. Well, I don't want to shout at my swimmers. I'm not telling them off all the time. I, I'll talk to my swimmers. And then I do have other levels which I can get to, trust me, if I need to. But um, I, don't, I very rarely need to do that, if at all, because the way I coach my squad is through this mutual, mutual respect where they know when I start talking about a session or something, they need to be quiet. If they've got questions, they can obviously butt in and, and ask questions, but it's a case of um, respect and honesty and talking to them and having that sort of environment, which is really important, where they know they can come and talk to me about their their worries, their secrets, their things going on in their head, and, and I'll keep that confidential and I'll help guide them in life. Um, because there could be a very real reason why, you know, 16 year old turns up and poolside and is really happy in the morning and then by the evening they turn up and they they look so despondent and tired and and unfocused well what's happened in that intervening period it could be that they've been bullied at school it could be that they've just been just been broken up with by their girlfriend or boyfriend anything could have happened and as coaches you've got to be really intuitive to to zone in on to being like ah oh, this person's in a really good spirits or this person's just sitting at the back of the lane today doesn't look very engaged hmm you're right. Yeah. How's your doing? And it's just those little conversations which make a huge difference. That's how I coach, and that's um, that interest and interaction is what sets the tone for that environment. And then within that, they know that there are certain tough conversations which I'll have with them about attendance. You know, um, you know certain swimmers will know that I, I'm quite tough on certain things. Certain things about like getting in, in on the pool at certain times being um, on time to things, being respectful, saying thank you to officials, is that kind of, all of those little things, is that non-negotiable sort of environment which I create to try and make sure that they toe the line, but at the same time in a respectful team way. I'm not, I'm not one of these coaches which is all like rah, 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 like go GB, like, like, like in your face sort of like jumping up and down. I'm, I'm quite reserved. In fact, I don't like that sort of like rah, rah, rah stuff as a coach. Um, but if I've got other coaches that are like that, I'll engage them more in that sort of way. So it's it, it's just a, a calm environment because ultimately, if they if the environment where they're training is focused, calm, but they're challenged, um, and there's this sense of respect, when you get into the the arena, so their highest level competition, which they will go to, where potentially they're the most anxious, 
if you've put the right things in place and you've got this good relationship, if you as a coach are calm and respectful and come across as informed and they can trust you, then they will naturally be calm and be far focused on their performance and not worry about anything else going on. Yeah. Whereas if you are a coach, which is here, there and everywhere, then you get to a competition and you're even more here, there and everywhere. Then the swimmers are just like totally like tripping out going like, what's going on? And they just underperform. No, I I agree with you. I've I've experienced a couple of times where I've had coaches in the past where I've just been all over the shot and I'm like, what what is going on? And you don't quite understand what's going to happen. And you can't always rely on them to be able to be where you want them to be. And is that and in some ways as you said when you're in that arena environment you want to have that point where you you know it's all going to be okay everything's sorted if you know what i mean you just need to go and do one thing go and sort it out and then after that someone else is sorting out the rest if you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely yeah no and i i think that's really key and i think you're talking about environments with that and that's that's one of the key points of what i think creates an incredible program if you know what i mean that making sure you can create the environments for athletes not only feel safe but feel challenged feel like they want to turn up to train because they know it's going to be beneficial if you know because there's plenty of times where you can turn up to train but you don't want to be there because it's not the environment you want to be in and that in itself isn't going to help the athlete too that's going to shoot them in the foot yeah there's this um, thing which i picked up from mel marshall Uh, i've known mel for a very long time um even when we when we were swimmers but um she, this is thing which I've picked up from her many years ago now, but I, I think it's really integral to environments is um, you have medal winners within your program, you have medal makers and you have medal takers. And it's really important in your squad that you make sure that the minimum you have is a medal maker and the rest of them are medal winners. Because the moment you have someone that's a medal taker and everyone can be a medal taker. And what I mean by that is somebody that is negative, somebody that doesn't turn up, somebody that's a poison. Um, for whatever reason, they could have things going on in their life. Um, but in the moment somebody drops into that, it's really important as a coach for you to be able to zone in and recognize that and, and pull them out of it. Because if you can't pull them out of it and it just spirals and spirals, then that swimmer is no longer suited to that environment because it will pull down the other swimmers. But what you'll find is every squad will have those real high performers, the ones which will win medals, the ones which will be the the anchor leg on that relay because you know they're going to do it for the team. The person that will just rock up to nationals and win three golds, you know, lots of clubs will have those sort of like medal winners, but they can't achieve that if the environment isn't there. So the environment is created by those medal makers, the swimmers which turn up 100%, the swimmers which are nearly there but maybe aren't there. But actually what happens in a successful environment is those medal makers, if they work hard enough, and for long enough, alongside those medal winners, they will actually potentially eventually become a medal winner as well, whether that's part of a, a relay or whether they achieve something which they've never done before, i.e. get to British summers or get to Olympic trials or get on to that relay spot which gives them a medal at nationals. Whatever that is, they ultimately succeed as well um, and reach their personal Olympic goal, whatever that is. Um, so it's really important that in a programme you recognise what's important and what isn't and it's very important to to support any swimmer which drops into that medal taker, that, that negative philosophy. Because um, if you ignore that as a coach, then more and more people will jump on that bandwagon and then your program will be unsuccessful. So, but I really like, I've expanded on that within our program, but that very concept I took from El Marshall, I thought that was a really good thing. No, I, I agree. And I think what's, I think key, one of the key points you're saying there is like medal makers and medal, medal um, winners medal winners themselves will drag the medal makers up as well won't they 
And mm -hmm. sometimes we all find that we move to programs because we know there's one or two people there who we want to train with because we know they'll drag us up anyway. Absolutely. And it comes down to training with people that are on the same mission as you. If you are in a smaller program and you are the best swimmer there at 14, 15, well, if you don't move on, really, to a bigger program with successful 17, 18, 19 roles, then you know, you're doing yourself a disservice because ultimately you're probably not going to succeed in swimming because at that point it's all about friendship and, um, and being part of a team and, and being with peers of the same age. Um, and it's so important to create an environment for older teens, which is an environment that they want um, in terms of interaction, but also at the performance end, a performance focus, which they can all buy into. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very important. Otherwise, if you don't have people of that same sort of mission to train with, um, then you're just going to sit still. Yeah, no, I think that's a real key point. I know that's the reason why I jumped between teams because I ended up just, I needed to move. I needed like a bit more of a challenge, if you know what I mean? It was getting, yeah, yeah. getting too easy, but yeah. it's important to keep moving around. And I think that's something that swimmers, if any swimmers do listen to this, and even coaches themselves, it's not something to be scared about. It's letting swimmers move on. Because I know some coaches of smaller programs really like to keep their swimmers and bits of ass. But... Yeah, but every coach is a pathway coach because my um, some of my best athletes, um, every year I pass on some of my best athletes to university or national centre programs. And... Some never move it on, majority probably don't. Um, some do, and others are, are being really successful. So it's, uh, I take great pride in the fact that whilst I, can, I have the, the offering to keep um, university age swimmers here and post that, we do. Um, many choose to go and study a course somewhere else. Um, and I'm very proud if they go on to continue to succeed and do really well, certainly in like a national center environment or a higher, uh, or a, a performance program which is a decent university setting um I mean passing swimmers on in a in a constructive way is part of what i do and that's really important to me so every coach is a is a party swimmers on at some point um so every coach needs to get their head around that yeah no i, I think that's a real key point definitely <laughs> yeah. all right well thanks very much for coming on it's been a really good conversation actually really enjoy it it's lasted longer than i thought it would <laughs> Well, that's fine. I can, I can talk and go on. So there we go. <laughs> no, it's all right. So um, for all our listeners out there, if you want to uh, continue the conversation, bits out, remember to join the Love Swimming um, Facebook group um, where I'll be posting lots of bits daily to um, kind of continue these discussions. Um, if you want to go and check out Wickham Districts for me, you can go and look at their websites and their social medias. Do you want to plug some social medias? Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, which is at Kev Brooks coach. And then the Wickham ones are Wickham swim or Wickham underscore swim. Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, go, go and have a look at them. It's really, um, good stuff. Um, your, your Wickham meme page is actually quite funny, actually. I don't know whether uh, some swimmers did that. They've stopped doing that now, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there was some good stuff on there. Um, but yeah, um, thanks very much, Connor. It's been a really interesting uh, conversation. Remember, guys, to uh, listen to us on all uh, podcast platforms, bits like that, mainly Spotify and bits. So yeah, um, thanks very much, mate. Thank you.